I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm going to talk to Justin Renton, who leads the church in Johannesburg, South Africa. Justin talks about what it was like becoming a Christian under the system of apartheid. He goes on to talk about his early life racing go-karts and dreaming of becoming a Formula One driver. He talks about the book that he and his wife wrote, The Healing of a Wounded Idealist. He shares about some of his near-death experiences he's faced and how he handles the pressure of leading a church, helping other churches, and running disciples today. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Before we get into the program, I want to ask you to please register for the Climb Small Church Leadership Conference. With, with all that you're facing going through COVID and trying to grow spiritually, make disciples, and help others to grow, you owe it to yourself to go to Dallas this December 2021 for the Climb Conference. Here's how it'll help you. The Friday program is designed to help you in your personal world, to grow and to find peace. Experts in the area of spiritual and mental health will be teaching and offering ways for you to do better than ever in your interior world. The Saturday program is customized to help you to plan your ministry, develop your preaching, add new techniques and ideas to make your ministry grow and flourish in 2022. And finally, you'll be surrounded by people like yourself, people who want to grow, advance the kingdom, and make this life count. Sign up today at robskinner.com for the Climb Conference, December 2nd through 5th, 2021 in Dallas, Texas. I'll see you there. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on my program, I've got Justin Renton from Johannesburg, South Africa. He and his wife, Irene, lead the church in Johannesburg, as well as oversee other churches throughout Africa. I'm looking forward to talking to him. He's a powerful man of God, and I'm excited to find out what he's doing in South Africa. Justin, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. It's uh, yeah, it's great to be on your on your podcast. <laughs> it's fantastic to have you. Now, Justin, I don't think we've ever really met personally. I mean, we may have bumped into each other at a conference, but our world, yeah. I think we've literally been on the other side of the world from one another, whether it's in Japan and you've been in South Africa, but it's really nice to get to know you a little bit better today and I look forward to talking. Can you share with me how how did you become a Christian? I grew up in a in a non religious household. My dad was a, a atheist slash agnostic. Uh, my mom was a non practicing Catholic, and we never went to church ever growing up. I, I think there was one time we went to a Sunday school, uh, and my dad said to me, "You know, do you want to go uh, to Sunday school next week, or come, you know, for milkshakes with me, you know, uh, next Sunday?" <laughs> And for my brother and I, it was an easy choice, you know. So that was sort of our, our, our church upbringing. Um, 
And uh, when I was at university, I was at Bits University, and interesting enough, there was a riot going on on the university against apartheid. So the students were rioting, and there was the police came onto the campus, and they started firing tear gas into the crowd. And I ran away and hid in the library. And I'm I'm literally standing in the library, and this guy turns to me and he says, he says, Hey, you want to come to Bible talk? And it was Gary Knudsen who was on the mission team to South Africa. Wow. And uh, and I was like, wow, what is that? I mean, what is that all about? And he told me a little bit about it. And it's sort of, you know, practically understanding the Bible and where it came from and how it can be used in our life. And, and I thought, okay. And he gave me a little invitation card. And it, that little invitation card sat on my desk for about three weeks. And it kind of looked at me. And I looked back at it. And after about three weeks, I said, I actually should go. I know nothing about the Bible. Uh, and it seems like it's an important book to get to know about. So I went and and found the Bible talk fantastic. It was, it was so encouraging and interesting. And... Um, and so we started studying the Bible. I studied the Bible for about nine months, um, you know, during this time period, and and uh, and got to a point where I realized, okay, this is actually calling for a lot of changes in my life. Um, and um, and then went to work for a racing team in Europe over a holiday and took evidence that demands a verdict because I thought, boy, if I'm going to make these changes, I better be convinced that this is really true. You right. Know? And read that book, the Josh McDowell book, Evidence Demands a Verdict and was so convinced by the evidence i was like wow this is amazing the the you know all the scientific evidence the uh, for you know for creation uh, it was really impressive and came back and said okay let's i'm ready to go let's it's i want to become a christian so that was that was december of 1987. okay so that was my journey you got baptized december of 1987 when was the church planted in 1986, okay. so I think July of 1986. So it was a very small group. It was probably not much more than about a hundred people meeting on Sundays. You know, maybe the church itself was 50 or 60 members, uh, but it was it was blow away. It was, um, you know, because it was it was multiracial from the start, and you know, and it just was unheard of back then to have these multiracial groups, and you walk in. And, you know, blacks and whites are hugging each other and, and you know, they clearly like each other. They're, you know, there's friendships. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is this is the future of, you know, of South Africa. I mean, this is just so unique and so different. So so that was a, a huge draw card and attraction to the church was just the diversity and the and the love. And, you know, being in apartheid South Africa, that was that was very unique. How was that different than what you'd been used to growing up, having that kind of mixed, uh, mixed race meeting? Yeah, so, you know, most of my life was was very, you know, segmented off, you know, and so really all my parents, friends were white. Uh, I went to mostly white uh, high school and schools. It was a little bit of, 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 um, of mixing in my high school, which was great. It was a private school, so it, it was we were allowed to have mixed races, but it was very minimal. I mean, it was, you know, 95% white, maybe 5% Indian or, 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 or black. Um, so to see a group that was sort of 50-50 mixed, you know, getting on together and it, it was very it was a very unique experience mm. i remember when that team was sent out it was so groundbreaking because it was a team of blacks and whites together yeah. going there 
Was it even legal at that time to meet uh, like that? It was. I mean, the, the, you know, the government had rules that you know certain political gatherings, you know, weren't allowed. But but it wasn't it wasn't illegal to meet for a church service like that. So, okay. Yeah, but they they kept strict control over you know political gatherings. You know. I see. Now, yeah. how did you and Irene meet? So we met in church. Um, so it was at a sort of a campus devotional. So, she, you know, she she and her sister came out to a campus devotional uh, and I was there. And we sort of met very briefly. Uh, then she went down to study un- at university in Cape Town. I went down to lead the church in Cape Town as a young single guy. And we sort of became friends, you know, at uh, in, at, in the church in Cape Town. Then she moved up to Johannesburg and went into the ministry and uh, and I moved back up and then and now we're in the ministry together and and we you know it was just like wow she's you know she's amazing I hadn't seen it before I think I was stuck in traffic you know uh, <laughs> uh, before you know um, and uh, yeah so then we yeah we fell in love and and got married in in 97 1997 oh so you you had like 10 years as a disciple being single okay you there was, there was a little bit of a gap there I did. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, Were you dating other sisters at the time during that period? I, yes. Yeah. So I dated other sisters. She dated other guys. I, I'd lived in Kenya for a while. Um, yeah. So, so being in Pretoria, started the church in Pretoria, you know, so we'd sort of, we'd sort of, you know, missed each other in some places, you know, oh my but gosh. I'd, 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 I'd for about 10 years before we got married. You know? Wow. Okay. So how old are you now, Justin? I'm 54. Oh, 54. Okay, great yeah. age. I, I love guys born in the 60s. Yeah. That's that's awesome. And you, Rob, how old are you? <laughs> I'm 50, I just turned 56, so we are okay. very, very close in age. That's awesome. Now, yeah, yeah. what sounds like you, you were doing a lot of planting work there in the 80s and 90s. What led you to ministry? Um, so, you know, I, I, initially I'd really wanted to become a professional racing driver pretty much, pretty much from my teenage years onwards. And so that, that'd be my goal. I'd sort of, you know, won some South African championships. I had uh, gone to work for a racing team in Europe and my plan was to just go to Europe and, uh, and pursue a professional racing career. And then, uh, you know, became a disciple, and I realized that really wasn't possible. Certainly back then, we had very few churches in Europe. The races happened on Sundays, you know, so it really wasn't functionally possible to try and do something, you know, like that. And uh, and so I, um, you know, I, I had to go do military service. Every every white South African was conscripted to do two years of military service after you finished university or, you know, uh, and so when I was uh, doing military service, I thought, well, what do I want to do with my life now that, you know, now that I, I don't really want to pursue racing? I thought, well, I've got a business degree. I could do that. I, you know, I could I could try and do racing on a more local level here in South Africa, but that's difficult to make a living out of it. And and I thought, but, you know, what really matters is actually how many people get to, you know, go to heaven at the end of my life. Mm-hmm. I thought that's actually probably the most important thing is staying before God and saying, I used my time, I used my efforts to help people, you know, go to heaven. That's what I devoted myself to. And I thought, that's actually really what I want to do, you right. know. And I just felt that calling from God that that, 
that's the best use of your time and energy that you can that you can use you know given uh, uh, given that sense of calling from God so that was that was probably the the main the main driving force you know wow I want to talk more about that racing I can you give like a little timeline from when you graduated from college to uh, you know, when you married your wife and up until now, where have you been? What churches have you planted? Can you just, just share a little bit about your, um, your life and ministry up until now? Okay. Uh, so including the motor racing part of that? Or? Sure. Of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I started racing, uh, as a teenager, um, my dad, my dad raced in the 1950s. He built his own racing car wow. in the 1950s, and then sort of stopped it. But I, he took me to uh, to races growing up. So I'd sort of grown up going to Kyle Army and watching the Formula One guys drive around Kyle Army in the 1970s. And um, and then I started racing karts. Actually, ended up racing against Michael Schumacher. And I don't know if you know who he oh is. Oh my gosh, who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. So, so my dad and I went out for dinner with him and his and his dad. Uh, this is back in the 1980s before he became famous. And so we raced twice against each other. He beat me on both occasions, but uh, <laughs> I think he was just lucky. <laughs> uh, he was very good. He was always right from then. You could see he was a superstar in the making. You know, mm. so. Um, and then moved up through the formulas, uh, you know, Formula Ford, Formula GTI, which is sort of an equivalent to Formula Four, Formula Three uh, in South Africa, and uh, um, yeah, and just just loved it. And and as I said, was really you know was sort of my passion to actually make it a career. Uh, then um, yeah, finished you know uh, finished the racing. Uh, and and uh, went to the military service, finished that, and then went into the ministry in 1991. Okay. Uh, so that was, uh, and I started leading the Pretoria Church, which I started when I was there as as a in the I had moved to Pretoria as part of my military service, and so I started the church. We started a Bible talk, that grew to about 40 people. Uh, you know, then that then then went in the ministry that grew to over a hundred people. You know, and then moved to moved to Kenya from there, and that's really where I, I got to know Mike uh, Mike Tolliver, and he started discipling me, and was part of the Kenyan sort of uh, the, the early stages of a Ken- church in Kenya, and moved to Cape Town in the in the in '93 and '94, uh, came back to Joburg, and uh, then got married in '97, went back to Cape Town to lead the church. It was actually it was actually uh, Kind of interesting we just bought a house my wife and i we literally had just bought our first house and we settled into the house we had mike and Amjit over for dinner and it was sort of a housewarming and said hey this is our new house and they said oh it's so great to to, to you know to see your new house can you move to cape town oh my gosh <laughs> and we were like well, what we just we literally just bought a house and he said yep and six weeks later we were on our way to cape town oh my gosh so, uh, so we went down there um I, my daughter was born in Joburg just before we left then my son was born in cape town we were there for six years had a wonderful time there my parents moved to cape town they retired there they lived just down the road from us like 800 meters so having having grandma and grandma grandpa who both disciples um uh you know as babysitters was just was just glorious right. you know, next door mm-hmm. 
then uh, Irene's sister moved to Cape Town. Irene's brother moved to Cape Town. Irene's parents moved to Cape Town. So we were, we were sort of set up with our, with our family. And, uh, and then I remember Nietzsche Aguirre, who led the Joburg Church, came to us and said, all right, we'd like you to move to Joburg and lead the Joburg Church, you know. And we're like, oh, man, we've just, our whole family has just moved here. Oh, know? my gosh. And, uh, and so we said, no, thank you very much. We, we're very happy here, you know. And then Mark Ottenweiler came and asked us, you know, and we were, okay, wow, maybe we should pray about this. And then Mike Tolliver asked us. And eventually said, wow, this is, you know, this seems like this is something God wants us to do. So then we, so that was 2007, we moved to Johannesburg and uh, and have been here ever since. So from now till to here in, in Johannesburg. So that's kind of my, my timeline. Wow. That must've been so tough to break that to your, your family. Yeah, uh, totally. No, it was, it was very hard. So and uh, and my and my 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 sister-in-law, you know, uh, married my best friend down in Cape Town. You know, one of my best friends. Right. It, was, it was just like, oh my gosh, oh, boy. We, this is this is leaving all of our support, you know, uh, our family support sort of system behind. You mm. know, so uh, so it was definitely a tough move. Oh my gosh! I hope your family's forgiven you for that move. Okay. Well, let's, let's go back a little bit and talk about these racing cars. You ever get jealous watching formula one on TV? I mean, right recently Netflix has put together a documentary on formula one racing called drive to survive. And yeah. I know you've seen that show, uh, but it's really brought the kind of the backstage the inner workings of Formula One to the masses. I mean, for, before that, I never knew anything about Formula One. I knew some big names. I knew Ayrton Senna. I knew Michael Schumacher, um, Nicky Lauda. That was it. I mean, and I would just see the cars whizzing by on TV and then change the channel. It just meant nothing to me. But I think digging into the background of the of the drivers, it's it's really brought it to the masses. How do you feel watching that now? Watching that and thinking, man, maybe I, I could have been there. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I love it. I, I watch I watch it every weekend. Uh, I actually watch the highlights on YouTube uh, just to get the highlights of it. And I've got a, a group of motor racing friends, uh, you know, literally from the 1980s. We have a sort of a WhatsApp group and we, we chat about the race and who, how do we think the guys did. And so we sort of we stay connected as a, as a group of old racing friends. Um, and I've got all our opinions about who should be winning and who shouldn't <laughs> and the rule changes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I loved, I loved racing. It was, it was adrenaline. It was excitement. It was, you know, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, so yeah, I definitely, I, you know, I miss the, 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 the fun of it and the speed. Um, but you know, um, I, you know, what we're doing matters so much more in, mm-hmm. in, in, as disciples and as ministers, you know. So, so no regrets, no, no feelings like, hey, I, I missed the missed the turn. No, I don't think so. There were times I think you know, you know, when I first gave it up that I felt that way. But no, no, I've made peace with it. So, okay. I've asked God that that if we can have some <laughs> racetracks in heaven, then that's a good trade off. <laughs> did, did you ever have any accidents, major accidents, in your your kart racing? 
I, I surprisingly didn't. I had only one uh, that was so sort of serious. I had a number of accidents, but only one that was serious where the car flipped upside down. Oh, boy. You know, and I went up uh, across the track upside down. But never went to hospital, never broke a bone, never had anything serious happen. So I was very, I was very fortunate in that, all of that. That's know? good. That's but good. I've, I've had some car accidents that that I nearly died, and a couple of those actually, two or three, where where I, I definitely could have, uh, I could have shuffled off. I think my my guardian angel must have been doing some over some overtime on those. Oh uh, my gosh! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like when you look at the at Formula One now, who's your favorite? driver so presently uh, max verstappen um he's the guy i'm rooting for you know a uh, huge amount of respect for lewis hamilton i mean the guy is amazing he, mm-hmm. he is a legend you know um but i think max verstappen is sort of the young and up-and-coming star and i think that uh, uh he's going to be a star for the future you know and um and charles leclerc who's racing for ferrari at the moment he's uh He's also brilliant. So I think we've got to be, it's, it's going to be some very exciting, uh, you know, seasons coming up for sure. I agree. It's, it's been really fun to watch it recently. I saw a Botas one last week, I believe, right. which was, right. I always feel good about him. He's kind of in the shadow of, uh, Lewis Hamilton. It's nice to see him yeah. win, but I, I, I too, I really like Verstappen and he's young. He's like yeah. 23 and up and comer. Yeah. It, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. I was really happy that Daniel Ricardo uh, won recently, which was a big. I thought he was, you know, destined to just kind of fade away, but yeah. he he really showed he can win. So that was really exciting. Totally, and he's such a personality. It's great to have personalities like him in Formula One. You know, he's just such a character. Uh, it's it's uh, it's good to see him back on the podium. Exactly. Know? Well, I think they were so smart to start by focusing on him in the first season, the first episode, because he is such a larger than life, fun loving character. So yeah, that yeah. was that was really good. Okay, so back let's back to the spiritual talk here. What right. what do you do for fun? Like what do you, what do you enjoy? Like. You've got a lot of responsibility. You've got a family. How many kids do you have? Two. I have uh, my daughter who is uh, 21 and my son who's 17. Okay. So your kids are almost out of the house. What, yeah. do, you, what do you and Irene do for fun? Like, what do, you, what do you guys like to do just to, you know, enjoy yourselves, get refreshed? Yeah, so we we love eating out. We we really enjoy good food and sort of eating out at different restaurants and stuff. So we try and do that as often as we can. It's been a little tough, you know, during COVID for some of those opportunities. Um, and also movies. We actually love uh, we love movies. We love sort of um, uh, shows. We recently watched a show called Chernobyl, which is all about the meltdown of the reactor in. Uh, um in chernobyl and how that is it's just brilliant television i mean it is it's it's phenomenal so mm. yeah so that's uh that's some of it. what i do for my personal fun is actually cycling so we've got a group of guys here on the in the um uh in the church who who cycle every saturday morning and we, we sort of go out of Joburg into the sort of the hills around johannesburg and we, as part of it, we, we form a team for Hope Worldwide and we ride each year to raise money for Hope. And so this team is anywhere from 30 to, you know, it's, it's been as high as 30 and it's it's probably about 10 people at the moment. But we go out there and, and uh, yeah, and just ride around sort of the, the countryside, do, you know, 
30, 40 kilometers, sometimes more, and then wow. have breakfast together. And it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's as good as therapy, I think, <laughs> you know, to get out there and, you know, in get the, the wind in your hair right. and, and just talk and just, you know, uh, it's great. So I really, really enjoy cycling. Right. I think you're a cyclist, aren't you? Or? I like to motorcycle. No. I, I like to, I just did a cross country motorcycle trip this summer, but not bicycling. Now, bicycling scares me. I just feel like I'm going to get nailed by a car or something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, have you had any accidents? Any broken collarbones on your bike? Haven't broken anything. I have. I've gone over the handlebars a couple of times. Uh, so mostly mountain biking. Um, so, um, you know, and had, yeah, had a few accidents and again, thankfully never broken a bone. So, oh boy. but, uh, yeah, so I, it is, it is, it, it can be scary. Oh boy. I mean, that's, I've broken a, my collarbone twice on motorcycles once when I was a kid and once about 10 years ago. So it's a, it's a, it happens fast when it happens. So when yeah. you say you're cycling, you're, it's road, it's road riding. It's not, not road, yeah. mount, mountain biking or anything like that. No, so when I was in Cape Town, uh, I would do mountain biking. I see. It was a beautiful forest there, and, and we, had a, we had a group of guys that would do mountain biking there. Up here, it's actually more road cyclists, so most of the guys that I ride with are on the road. So uh, I've converted to the road and, and enjoy it. Yeah, it's good fun. Mm. Any surfing when you're down uh, in Cape Town? No, uh, a little bit of boogie boarding. Um, okay. So... Uh, I'm not a big surfer, but but I did some boogie boarding with some of the guys down there, which is which is quite good. I was watching a, an old American movie called Endless Summer, and, okay. and they basically it's it's about two young guys that travel the world to try to chase summer all around. So they start in in America, then they go to um, to Ghana, and then they go down into South Africa and they surf down in the, and it, you know, it's it sounds like a wonderful place to, to surf. You got to watch out for the great white sharks, but it sounds like an awesome place to surf. We, we converted. It, it is. We got some, we got some really good surfing spots. We got a famous place called Jeffrey's Bay where, uh, in when the tide is right, the, the, the wave sort of runs along the, the coast and you can ride for like, a half a kilometer or something i get it's just, oh my it's gosh so, well if uh, i ever visit south africa again i definitely want to go down and do some surfing maybe we can do that together oh uh, that'd be great that'd I'd, be awesome i would love that we converted a guy here in tucson a couple of years ago who was south african and he loved to surf and he, we took him out to San Diego to go surfing just to see, to watch him. Cause he said, I can surf really well. We want to kind of, is this really true? Could this guy really surf? And he was amazing. I mean, he was just, you know, total pro style cutting and carving on the wave. We we're like, oh my gosh, he really could back up what he was talking about. Uh, and it was funny because he goes, well, I've always heard about California and the waves. And he goes, they're much better back in South Africa. <laughs> anyway, okay. So how do you, how, Justin, how do you handle the pressure overseeing so many churches? You're, you're, I understand you're overseeing the churches in, in, in Africa, right? You kind of just help out. Is that not true? Yeah. Just in Southern Africa, not not in Africa, yeah. Okay, it's so just five, Southern Africa. Five families of churches, yeah. Okay, um, so this divide. I see. Okay, and so and can you tell me what the the scope of your responsibility is there? What what 
areas are you looking out after? So Southern Africa, we have 12 countries in Southern Africa, you know, and 22 churches. Wow. Um, so that's what the Southern Africa responsibility is, yeah. Okay, and you've taken on recently Roger Lamb's role as head of Disciples Today, which is a huge, huge responsibility, super important. How do you manage that? How, how do you keep focused? Tell me about that. Look, uh, honestly, uh, it was a bit of a shock to to have COVID hit literally as I was taking over Disciples Today. So, so um, uh, you know, it's actually been extremely difficult. I think you know, COVID and and trying to lead through COVID and and reconvert uh, the whole way we do church and do ministry, um, and then taking on Disciples Today. It's actually been a it's been a massive. Uh, stress for me um you know just it was sort of a perfect storm of you know all happening at the same time so you know it's actually it's actually been very hard i uh, ended up having to go on a on a sabbatical uh earlier this year mm-hmm. um yeah so the stress has actually been quite high it was unfortunate that it happened it happened just as as COVID hit you know um um, but I'm working on on figuring out how to because I love the work at Disciples Today and, and it's just it's so much fun. So I'm I'm working with with Mike and Ambajit on how to reduce some of my other responsibilities, you know, so this can so I can continue. But yeah, it's actually been it's actually been you know unfortunately very stressful and very hard oh my to try and balance it, uh, you know, um, through this period of time. So, I can only imagine. I mean, it must really help your prayer life to have. <laughs> have all these things going That's on. Sure. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. Totally. What what's been the impact of COVID on the churches in in South Africa and in Southern Africa? Yeah, you know, we um we went to a very strict lockdown uh, in South Africa, we went to level five. You literally could not leave your house, you know, for a for a long period of time when it first hit. Um I think our economy I think if I'm re- if I remember correctly, our economy, the GDP shrunk by 51% in the first quarter, you know, when, when COVID hit. Oh my um, gosh. It was massive. You know, it was just a huge hit uh, to what was happening. Uh, we ended up with, with almost 400 people uh, in the Joburg church that needed financial support because either had lost their jobs or they had income reduced, you know. Uh, not all of them were disciples, but you know, a single mom with her three kids. Right, you know, right. You know, but, um, so we were financially supporting, uh, you know, a bunch of people, um, and then a lot of people didn't have internet access. They had, they had, you know, we had a lot of older ladies in the church that had no internet access. So we had to figure out. But so initially, what we're doing is we were we we're printing out the trans, you know, transcribing the services and 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 hand delivering, you know, printed out you know of the service to some of these guys and eventually we found some uh some disciples that worked at a, at a, a cell phone company and they gave us a bunch of cell phones at a very cheap price and we bought them you know in in almost all of the different regions to be able to help people get internet access at their homes so they, they could actually watch online so so it definitely was you know initially a very hard adjustment you know and and, ex- and extremely stressful to figure out how to how to you know minister to people here you know this way but now it's running smoothly and we actually just we're going back to services um uh, you know in person services now so i think we we ha- we've just had our second one uh last weekend uh for 
for for this this section after the third wave you know so so uh, it definitely it definitely had an impact you know thankfully it was not nearly as bad as they predicted i mean all the predictions because of how difficult it was to social distance all the predictions was that literally millions of africans were going to die you know uh, because we couldn't social distance properly so so it was hugely stressful thinking how many how many disciples are going to are going to die through this you right. know and and we have had we've had you know a number of people to pass and we've had lots of family members pass uh, you know almost every week there you know there's a few announcements within the announcements of someone's uncle or aunt or brother or sister you know has passed because of covid so it definitely has had an impact wow i i know that we we've heard about a, a south african strain of of covid that that's come from south africa so it sounds like it's been particularly hard hitting there in, in south africa have um, go ahead yeah uh, no, no, you're right. I mean, and Delta, Delta had a had a big impact here as well, and we do have a South African strain. Thankfully, that hasn't it doesn't seem to have hit. I think it's called C plus. It doesn't hasn't hasn't hit that many people, um, you know. So, and you know, I think we're very blessed as to as to our our government has done a really good job of of you know being clear in their messaging, being very strict about their protocols, you know. Um, they've actually done a really, really good job, I think, of managing this crisis, you know. So I, I think if it hadn't been for how well they'd done, it would have been much worse. Yeah. You, you've, changing the subject, you've, in, you've talked about wounded idealists. Mm-hmm. And, and that term just you know, hit me like, oh, my gosh, that's really interesting. Can you elaborate? What, what did you mean by that? And what were you talking about there? So John Ortberg, um, John Ortberg wrote a book called Faith and Doubt, and and I was reading the book, and he said, he, he made this quote. He said, "If you scratch under the surface of a cynic, you will find a wounded idealist mm. there," you know, and and it really hit home. And and I, I was speaking to my wife, who's definitely an idealist by heart. I mean, she is she is wired to be an idealist. She. She goes into every situation expecting the best outcome. You know, she um, she just is full of optimism and hope, and you know, and and excitement for for how things you know can be. And then is constantly disappointed when stuff doesn't work out quite the way she expects. You know, when God doesn't answer the prayers in time, when there's conflict, you know, in the church, or when there's relational difficulties, or you know, uh, when the, the, you know, health or family or, you know, all these difficulties that we face, all these disappointments that we face in life, you know, it is definitely very wounding for idealists because I think they, they just have this sort of this, this innate optimism, you know, about, about, uh, you know, the way life can be or should be. Mm-hmm. So, so it was actually very helpful for her and it got her sort of started on the journey. She's the main author of, of the book. I, I sort of contributed here and there you know, but she is the main author of, of the, the Wounded Idealist book. And it was just a a wonderful journey for, for us to go on as a couple as we sort of studied things out together. But just, you know, how God how God allows a lot of disappointments to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and and it changes us from having 
optimism to having true faith, you know, because there's a difference between the two, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, you know, true faith is is really deeper because it's it's something that that you see God working through the difficulties or through the disappointments rather than than just having a you know a sort of blind optimism that everything will work out great you know mm-hmm. everything will, will turn out fine but the journey to get to that turning out fine is not always straight and easy you know um so i i think it's it's you know learning the difference between between true faith and idealism or optimism is is an important distinction i think for all christians to 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 go on that journey and, and learn I've had friends walk away from from the church who I think struggle with that very thing you're talking about. And especially as you get into your 50s and 60s, for for many in our generation, we saw the the church before 2003 with intense idealism. We're going to win the world in this generation. And we've seen both before and after, and it's it's challenging, certainly. Any advice? What what can help a person who feels like they've lost their idealism? Um, uh, one would be buy the book. It's available on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, and the title again is it is the the healing of a wounded idealist. Okay, is is part one and part two is the humble uh, idealist. So, um, so it's available on Amazon, and I. I you know, I know I'm biased because I think my wife is a great writer, but I, I, it's a it's a really good book, and it deals with all the the aspects that I think um, that we go through: the self pity when you get wounded, the 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 gap between you know the disappointment that we can feel about a number of things, and how to process that, you know, and the bridge that takes you you know from being a cynic or you know or being a wounded idealist to becoming a humble idealist and i think a lot of that that a lot of the bridge is humility it's just it's it's dealing with your um um you know your entitlement i think sometimes idealists are entitled they feel entitled to a certain mm-hmm. outcome in lives i feel right. entitled to certain things going well for them you know uh, and I think there's a lot of entitlement that comes with with idealism, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think humility is that bridge that 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 takes you to a, a deeper faith. And of course, the great examples of idealists in the Bible, you know, Peter was an idealist mm-hmm. so much so, and he just was, you know, you could see it in all his statements. You know, um, Elijah was an idealist, you know, and he he totally had this sort of optimistic faith that everything was going well, and he was distraught, you know. And stuff didn't go the way he hoped, and and uh, so there's some great examples of Bible characters. You know, uh, Moses was an idealist. You know, and uh, and and they all had journeys that they had to had to go on their faith journey to bring them back to a place of humility. You know, mm. so uh, and and that that journey is not always easy, but it, it's definitely how God helps us to how to deepen our faith. Interesting. I look forward to reading that. That's. Um, I mean, it, it, I, there's so many times I've prayed to God, like, God, I've prayed about this. You know, you got to come through here. Throw me a bone. Help me out here. You know, I've been I've been praying about this a long time. How come you haven't answered my prayers? And, yeah. you know, I, I find myself, you know, just struggling. It's just like, hey, you, you know, God, you you got to come through here in that, that feeling of, of an unmet expectation or, like you said, entitlement definitely certainly comes through there at times. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. You know, when you look back, you, you've seen the the country before apartheid and then afterwards. How have you seen the country change over the past, over the course of your lifetime? It's a big question, but what are some of the big things that you've really seen change, um, since, at least since you became a Christian? Because obviously it's huge. I mean, it's it's been a massive change from, you know, from apartheid South Africa to now what we have now, you know. And I mean, there's been so many positive changes and so much uh, greater equality and freedom and, um, you know, equal opportunity for people and, and re- you know, uh, addressing the past, uh, you know, through, um, you know, through sort of mechanisms to help empower, you know, uh, black folk that have been disadvantaged. So there's been so many good things that have happened um you know in south africa now there's obviously disappointments there's obviously things haven't you know that haven't gone so well and there's been you know there's been corruption and there's been there's been looting and there's crime our our crime rates are very high you know and one of the scary things of being a dad with a daughter is that gender-based violence is very high i think we have one of the highest in the world you know um and sort of the rape um statistics and are, are just dreadful you know and so there's certainly things that, that that haven't gone well, you know, but I think um, you know, to see it as this wonderful black middle class and upper class sort of developing, uh, which I think creates stability, you know, to have to have a, a much more stable democracy, you really need a big, you know, uh, big middle class and, and that 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 brings stability you know, to the country. So a lot of that has changed, although there's still a lot to go. Um, but no, it's been a it's been a miracle to see how much has changed and and that it didn't you know never went through a civil war, which was which was amazing. And a lot of that was to do with with Nelson Mandela, who of mm-hmm. course was just it was just amazing and his approach to things and and uh, you know, a hero to so many people that he he kept us all together. Right, right. There's a couple in our church that that's uh, spent a number, you know. A number of years in South Africa, and they just shared about a home home break in, and it just, I mean, for them to recount it, they start crying. I mean, it's just so um, scary. I mean, they could just relive it. Uh, you know, it's tough for them to share. Have you ha- yeah. had any situations like that? Have you had any near death experiences that have frightened you? Uh, yeah. Um, so. I had a guy come in. I was visiting my dad in Cape Town uh, when we lived down there, and they were painting some walls and they had some painters in the house and had uh, three guys come in with guns, you know, and, you know, lay us on the ground, uh, threatened to kill us, you know, um, you know, were very sort of um, aggressive and, 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 and angry. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this could be, this could be the moment that, you know, that, that, they killed myself and my dad, you know, and thankfully they, they didn't, they, they sort of just took some, they took my dad's car, they took some possessions, they took, you know, cell phones and watches and, and different things. But it was definitely one of those moments where you just think, Oh my gosh, this is, you know, uh, you know, thankfully it wasn't as violent as, as, as I know, I know the couple you were, you were referring to where they got, they got physically beaten up, you know, um, so it wasn't as violent as that, but but definitely that was a that was a moment where I thought, wow, this could be this could be my last day here. Right, exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, that's that's scary. I remember the '95 uh, South African conference. We were, we were there, and and it was it was wild. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, this is this is not uh, you know, we're not back in the states here. This is a different different place entirely. That's right. Wasn't there somebody shot a bullet through one of the windows in the hotel? The elders, right? one of the elders, had a, a bullet go through his window of the hotel, and also a, a person was shot right in front of the hotel, right at the entrance to the hotel. There was a a police station right across the plaza, and I, I think he was an informer or something like that. And he, it's like an assassination right there in front. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, we had to go out with uh, um, armed guards, you know, private guards to if we wanted to leave the hotel. It was it was definitely an eye opener for me. That's for sure. Yeah. And I don't want to scare everybody about South Africa. <laughs> I'm sure I'm I know it's a beautiful country, and, and uh, you know it's. Anyway, um, thank you so much. I want to just ask one final question, Justin. What advice do you have for those who want to make their life count? Yeah, I think you you know you have to find your calling because I think um, you know to to make a difference to to make this world better. You know, it's hard. This world doesn't naturally get better on its own. You mm-hmm. know, so you know to make to make the world a better place to you know, to improve it for our kids, to help people get to heaven, you know, it, it is tough. And so I think, you know, having that calling and then that willingness to go through hardships, to see that, you know, to go through sacrifice, to make sacrifices, to see that take place, you know, I think would be my only encouragement. Nothing nothing for me in, in sort of going in the ministry has become, has been easy. It's been hard at every point, you know, I, I think, uh uh, you know, each move that we made from from city to city, country to country, you know, it was tough. Uh, you know, uh, each year I feel you know the ministry doesn't seem to get easier; it's harder. <laughs> uh, surely I've been doing this now for thirty years. This right. should be, you know, be a little easier. Um, so I think it's 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 having that sense of calling, and then you know, and then being willing to, you know, to 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 just to make the sacrifices and pay the price that, that it takes to, you know, to, to make things better uh, mm-hmm. and to be able to impact people for God. I think that's, that would be my advice. Uh, that would be my, that's certainly from my life. Anyway, that, those are the things that I've found, you know, mm. what, when you look forward, you've, you're heading up disciples today. What are your plans? What are your goals? What are you excited about over the next 10 years? Yeah, so we we started moving um, towards a lot more video content, um, you know, from just just written content because obviously disciples today previously had done mostly articles and written content and you know websites and we've been starting to add. We've started a TikTok channel, which is which is really fun for the younger generation. Our Instagram group is really you know is really picking up. Um, uh, our Facebook page, you know, is is over thirty thousand Facebook. Uh, people that that go to the RCOC Facebook page, which we manage as DT, um, so it's great to to be in 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 more new media and more video stuff. So we we've started partnering with Carl Spears on some videos, with Kidogo on some videos, uh, with another another group here in South Africa on some some videos. So we started to try and produce much more video content for people, which we we think is 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 more the medium of how people you know, uh, ingest news and, and content. Uh, so I'm very excited about this. I'm excited about, you know, all these plans and ideas that we have for, 
for developing you know more and more media and we've also got a new dt heart and soul app which is coming out soon um and i think that'll improve the experience for for so many people who use dt heart and soul and we we're also very excited we've had over 100 marriages come from dt heart and soul so so we're looking forward to the next hundred happening that's right soon and i think the app will improve the the user experience tremendously so Mm. uh, so there's some very exciting projects that we're working on which is you know it it it's a little bit by little bit but it's it's making progress that's great that's great well thank you so much for your time and all the best to you ah thanks rob yeah thanks for having me on your podcast and i love your podcast and all the work you do it's brilliant thank you thank you so much for joining the rob skinner podcast If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.